Welcome to Grow with Kobe. Listen, this is a podcast that can help us navigate in a more skilled way the life that's in front of us as parents, partners, individuals, professionals, whatever applies to you. And if we can understand the skills that will help us to create as little collateral damage as possible, if we can focus on the things that will get us to the place where we want to go, if we have mindfulness of the skills, we can seriously understand who we are, which means we can better connect with the people who are around us. So come with me. This is going to be raw. It will be unfiltered. It will be vulnerable. We'll talk about successes. We'll talk about miserable failures. But most importantly, you're going to get authenticity from me and from all my guests. So come on, come with me. Let's all go together. Okay, guys, welcome to episode two of Grow With Kobe. Today, we're going to talk about um, the daily preparation that I go through in effort to prepare for the day. This isn't easy because life throws all kinds of things at us. But what I have found is if I can focus and pour my energy into these few things, and if I can do these in a way that's sustainable, then I'm going to be far more prepared day to day to handle the curveballs, the thunderstorms that life throws at me. And um, you know what I figured out too? When I fall on my face and I mess up in some capacity, in some way, in whatever role, it's easier for me to get back up because I have prepared for those moments when they come. So I'm going to talk first about uh, our own personal preparation. Okay, I'm going to just list these and then we'll go back and we'll talk about what each one of them means. We'll also talk about why these kinds of daily activities are so challenging, so hard to stick with, to maintain over time because there's more to it than did you do it or did you not do it? And we'll touch on that. So the first one is having a daily exercise, okay, of 30 minutes. This, the, uh, the next one is I do a spiritual devotional, and that's only 10 minutes. After that, I do five minutes of journaling. And that five minutes of journaling is, is not writing about what happened for the day because I, I just couldn't do that. I had to have some kind of objective. The last thing I wanted to do was to face journaling. It's like, well, what on the green earth do I write? What do I say? How do, how do I say it? What's, what's preferred? I put all that aside and just focus on what I felt in each of the categories, each of the roles that I play in life. And lastly, I shared those emotions. Um, I shared those with my partner, um, my former, and now those, those are things that I, that I share and speak on the daily just in a different way. So, but the most important part about those emotions is that I shared them. I speak them. I'm vulnerable enough to say, this is what I felt. But how do I do that without feeling um, some kind of way about my emotions? That we absolutely are going to talk about. Okay. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to share with you some best practices that I have used in effort to sustain these activities because they're, they're not easy, they're hard. And in truth, here's what's cool, is the, since 2000, uh, fall of 2014, I've lived a way that I always ached to live. Meaning, for years, like I, I grew up playing um, sports growing up, you know, Little League Baseball, competitive travel soccer in the Pacific Northwest, um, I played football in high school and soccer, um, played some junior college football as well. And, and what I knew for sure about workouts was, especially in those years, I was going to work out, but all I had to do was show up internally. I wasn't motivated to go <laughs> myself. I was never that, I was never that athlete at all. But what I did do was I made certain that I showed up. And once I showed up, then I was compelled to run, to work out, to, to, you know, to get my best, et cetera, because I had a coach in my face getting after me, yelling at me, et cetera, to do what I needed to do. And in those situations, I thrived. But once I, once I actually stopped playing football, I stopped. I, 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 there was no internal motivation for me to go work out, though in moments of shame that spawned from comparison, 
from a from a physique standpoint, I would just feel deep reservoirs of inadequacy. I would feel not good enough. And you know, I'm a bigger guy. It's interesting because when I graduated high school, I was 175 pounds. And that summer between my senior year in high school, when I graduated, until my freshman year of college, I redshirted uh, playing football at Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. And that whole summer, I spent lifting. So by the time fall started and the season started, my playing weight was like 198, 198 pounds. So I had um, <laughs> spent a lot of time in the gym. And then when I, when I transferred to a junior college, my playing weight at 21 years old was 202 pounds. And that was with playing, that was with practicing, you know, six days, well, playing six days a week. Now, granted, (laughs) I was the kicker on the team, place kicker and punter, but there's no glory in that, I assure you. (laughs) For those of you who know anything about uh, sports, the kicker can be, uh, at best, the goat and um, at least the the villain of whatever city (laughs) or community that he plays in and um it's just expected that they'll do their job but if they don't that it's like why why are you even here so there's some unique yeah some unique shame narratives that i experienced as that uh, as that kicker that that person back then but i shared that part just to say once i once i finished uh playing football in in junior college after two years i got married and I immediately gained in the first four months 25 pounds. And so from there, I felt shame about my body. I felt shame about how I looked. I felt shame about the, the muffin top that I had, the gut that I developed. Um, I felt shame and silly because my clothes didn't fit. And when I would be in the headspace, most of the time I actually had my head in the sand because I did not want to face the fact that I had gained all that weight. But I would have moments of deep shame. And I remember early, early in, um, in my married life, I would have um, these spells where I would, I want to go run. I want to work out. I want to do something. So I would sign up for a marathon. I'd sign up for a half marathon. Never ran them. <laughs> in fact, I think I signed up for two uh, full marathons. And just never ran them. And, and you know, what's interesting is the same motive that got me to sign up for those marathons is the same motive why I didn't run at all and never even trained. It was shame. So um, shame is only something that what, what I figured out for me in terms of a workout, I didn't know what to do. Moreover, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to face the the shame that I was feeling when I would approach um, the topic of working out when I wasn't compelled to because of organized sports, etc. So this is what I learned when I started actually living this principle of having daily exercise. I had to allow myself to just face reality that I wasn't going to all of a sudden, you know, be in the gym and uh, being at peak performance like I was when I was 19. It just wasn't going to happen. So, and, and mind you, when, from 21 years old, 22 years old, um, clear until I was 37 years old, I didn't work out consistently. There was one time that uh, I trained for a half marathon um, when I was living in Idaho, and um, it turned out that I was out of the country during the, <laughs> the race itself. But I did train. But I, in the end, didn't, uh, I didn't end up running it. However, that said, those were just these really um, inconsistent seasons that I had in terms of exercise. But once I faced, and when I was, you know, 2014, the fall of 2014, once I faced the necessity of working out, and once I was able to accept that I don't have to run a marathon, I don't have to run a half marathon, once I accepted the idea that, that there was a different design and purpose behind a workout, that allowed me to just let go of the comparison that I felt that spawned shame that drove me 
to working out in the past. And I was able to be easy on myself and, and lower my expectations. Moreover, kind of take my shame about body image and kind of move it to the side because I really, really struggled with who I was. But for whatever reason, at 37, I was ready. But let me share with you what I did in effort to execute on this concept of a daily workout. Number one, I made sure that it was 30 minutes only. Um, I was I was certain that I could do 30 minutes or less. And I was also certain that if I found an activity that I enjoyed, and I promise you it wasn't running, <laughs> I'd proven that, it wasn't running. Um, if I found something that I actually enjoyed, then I could do it. So that that involved doing some type of of cardio. In fact, it was uh, it was insanity by Sean T was the very first work that I did from home where I was like, okay, this is super, super, super hard, but I didn't have to worry about long hours on the road. I didn't have to worry about um, the cold in the winter. I remember running, geesh, in January of, man, like 2010 in Idaho Falls, Idaho. I remember running one night and it was like three degrees <laughs> and I had to run like five miles and I did it. But, but in this case, I didn't have to worry about that. That was not going to be an obstacle. I really had to pick the path of least resistance because what I knew when I started this, I had to be certain that I could sustain whatever it was that I was trying to do. I had to sustain the activity. So that made me rethink all kinds of stuff. So I didn't go immediately, as far as weights are concerned, into big, huge, heavy weights. I started slow and I started easy. And I knew for sure if any of you have spent time in the gym, if you haven't worked out and all of a sudden you jump in the gym and you're lifting like crazy, you hate life for probably the first like five to six days, sometimes longer, because you're so sore. I was so sore. I, for years, I hated the toilet because <laughs> I was so sore when I would work out that squatting just on the toilet was like painful. And it was a reminder of like, oh my gosh, I'm so out of shape. But once I was able to get into a rhythm, that completely helped me. But I started with the idea that this needs to be sustainable. I also, meaning sustainable in the amount of time, but also the activity helped me to uh, maintain consistency over time. So what I also did was, is I gave myself permission to work out when I needed, when it was best for me to work out, time of day or night, right? So um, early in those years, I would wake up, I would wake up in the morning and I would work out, wake, I don't know, 6.30 or so, 7 o'clock, and I'd work out, and I worked it in the house, and there were times, honestly, that it was so hard to wake up, even just for 30 minutes. So I did a few things to help um, ease myself into the process, if you will. I did a few things to help make it easier for me to get up. So I'm going to show you some tricks, share with you some tricks that I, that I executed on. So what I learned was, is that when I was doing some kind of Shanti workout that, that combined, you know, really intense cardio with um, some lifting, excuse me, I had, I had to find the right music that would, that would keep me going. So that meant meaning like I, <laughs> the music was kind of like this uh, distraction from the inordinate amounts of pain that I felt when I was starting to work out. Because it's not easy. It's not easy because if you've worked out in any, in any way in the past and you haven't for a long time, then you start again, you know, you know that the sore muscles and the aches and the pains are going to come. But um, those will oftentimes, those oftentimes, those, those aches and pains were the little um, thoughts that kept me from continuing to work out. So what did help me was finding the right kind of playlist for me that coincided with whatever workout I was going to do. And that would ebb and flow depending on what was, uh, what was new, what was um, in, in terms of, of music at the time. But sometimes I would just go back to old school stuff that I, that I really enjoyed. But it was all really important for me in effort to help make the experience more sustainable. Uh, the other thing that I did in the morning times, and, and for any of you that know me, and, and lots of you who don't, I am the night owl, consummate night owl. And uh, my dad was, I am, uh, my daughter Lucy definitely is. And that made waking up in the morning really hard. But um, two things that I did 
to help me wake up in the morning with a, with a mindset that I've got to do this. Okay. Number one was the night before I did two things. I made sure that I evaluated what time I needed to work out based upon what the tasks were the rest of the morning. Cause sometimes that, that changed depending on what was going on. So I knew the night before I was going to look at my calendar and say, okay, what time do I actually need to work out? I would, I would set that time. I would set my alarm. Then what I would do is I would get out pre-workout. I would, I would pull that out of the cupboard and I would take, you know, the necessary scoops and I would put it in a cup. Then I would take my insulated mug and I'd fill it with ice water. And then in the morning time when I'd wake up and I'd be so tired, I'd be so tired. I knew, okay, all I got to do is roll over my side up to my bedside table I've got to pour my water into my pre-workout and I've got to mix it up and I've got to sit up long enough to drink it. And then it's going to help do its job, which is going to get me to wake up and be like, all right, I'm ready to do this. So that's what I did. And it turns out that worked for me to help me get ready. Because if I didn't work out, having had pre-workout, oh, I would get, I would get nauseous and sick just because, of, because pre-workout's meant to be used with movement. It's meant to be combined with movement. And I knew that. So I was ready to go. But if I didn't, I'd get sick for sure. But that helped me to get up. And that also helped to uh, create a, a habit, which became a routine, which became a way of living. So that was something that I did very, very early in, uh, in like 2014 through probably 2015. And then as I needed to adjust when I worked out, then I did, but I would still implement the same principles. I would still make sure that I knew what time I was going to wake up, um, the night before. And I also knew that I had to uh, prepare my pre-workout just to get up and get going. Okay. That's what worked for me. And that's not going to work for everybody. Totally get that. But the, but the principles that I operated against were whatever I did, it had to be sustainable and I had to make sure it was the path of least resistance. And if I had the path of least resistance, which oftentimes is just poo-pooed on, it's discounted, it's, it's, it's uh, viewed as um, just not enough. But what I learned was an effort to start a habit. Not even a way of living, okay? But just a new habit, I had to take the path of least resistance. And I'll go into more of the, the uh, I guess, the, the surface-level science behind what that, uh, the reason for that a little bit later. But once I was able to get into that rhythm, then it was really, really helpful. And I will tell you this too, on the back end of the workout, I always took a, a um, like a recover, I always drink a recovery shake that was always chocolate. It was fantastic. And that was also, honestly, motivated. <laughs> it's like, wait, I'm going to go work out. And then when I'm done, I'm going to have this like delicious recovery shake. Sweet. So there was this, there was this reward on the back end of it. Right. But, um, I had to be willing to accept the discomfort that was going to come. But I also knew that I had uh, a number of uh, parameters put in place to help me sustain it. So that's what I did for a very, very, very long time. And the truth is, is still to this day, I have my pre-workout set out the night before. I know when I'm going to be taking it. I know what time I'm going to be working out because the night before I look and see my schedule based on what I've got to do. This is when I'm going to work out. And then um, that way I know as soon as I wake up, this is what the plan is. And this is when I'm going to work out. And I just follow and execute. Now, I want to point this out. The reason why it was so hard for me is because to, 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 to work out is I did not have, well, let me just, let me back up actually. The reason why it was so hard is because I was operating in my brain in this way of not working out when I started my mornings. So let me put it to you like this. It'd be the same thing as if, you know, when you go to the, the dentist and the dentist is like, you got to brush every day and you brush and then you still get cavities like, okay, you're brushing every day. Yeah. But you need to floss every day too. And when I'm not flossing, it's like, oh, this is hard to remember. I just, I just couldn't do it. I was totally in the routine of brushing, but the flossing thing was kind of hard. So I had to take the path of least resistance and effort to implement flossing at least once during the day. So 
I took to, I, 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 I transitioned from, well, actually, I, I got rid of the, the really crappy floss that the dentist gives you, and I went to Glide Floss because it didn't, um, it just didn't stain my teeth, right? The, 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 the floss, this is a long time ago, right, people? But the floss used to just um, shred into my teeth and stay there, and it, and it was the worst. So I transitioned to Glide, and that was super easy because it was fast, it was quick, and it never stuck in my teeth. I could do it. But then I took that one step further because who flosses with floss in the car? So I found floss and toss, and these just these little sticks, that allow you, they're like toothpicks plus flossers. And I put those in the car. I put those in the drawer where my toothbrush was. And because I took the path of least resistance and because I decided to put that on the back end of brushing and I made sure that they were in the place where my toothbrush was, then it became easier for me to floss. And over time, that's a habit, which it still is today. And I still have, I still have floss and toss in my car and I still have it in the bathroom in in my little tote that I use for all my toiletries and such so that was imperative and and the cool part is is that's now paying me dividends because I haven't had a cavity in in some years um, but I knew that flossing was important but I also knew I didn't have um, um, a routine for that. And what that really means is from a, from a brain standpoint, a neurological standpoint is I already had a routine on how to get ready for the day, but I didn't have the routine that included flossing. And I want to compare that routine in, in terms of my brain as a, as a, as a pathway, consider it like this, if you're out in, 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 the, in the woods, out in the wilderness, consider this like a dirt road that over time gets rained on and I drive it every single day. And so the ruts get a little bit deeper with time, a little bit deeper than it rains. And I still have to traverse in the rain and the snow. So the, the ruts get deeper and deeper. But the more that I drive that, that dirt road, okay, the, the more the, the weeds die, the more earth shows up and then the deeper the ruts get. So it's just super easy to get on that road and just do the same thing every day. That was my routine before I started flossing. So once I started to floss or I wanted to, it was so hard to remember because my brain, our brains, human brains like to operate on cruise control. They don't like to, um, to just do things willy nilly, meaning from the hip, um, our brains like to operate with a certain neural pathway, a certain road every day. So they don't have to, it doesn't have to think, it just does. And that's exactly what my routine was. But when I threw in the flossing part, it was really hard. But once I was able to stay focused and take the path of the roost resistance and put in the measures that I needed to floss, then I took that existing neural pathway or that existing dirt road that had the ruts that represented how I got ready each day. And I, and I just moved that neural pathway or that road just to the side. Me, uh, uh, meaning instead of taking the normal ruts in, in a truck every day per se, I had to form a new road next to that one and that meant I had to drive over grass. I had to drive over fallen trees. I had to drive over rocks over and over and over again till I began to see a new road. And I began to see that the path I was, I was driving on um, allowed me to drive over the weeds enough so that there weren't any weeds to drive over the, the fallen trees enough so the fallen trees began to disintegrate. I also rode over the, the rocks. I, I rode, rode, I drove over the rocks and that allowed me to, um, to get, I guess, kind of get the, reveal the rocks and I could dig the rocks out and, and move them to the side. But I had to form a new neural pathway and effort for me to learn how to floss as part of my daily routine. So if you consider that road, that dirt road, that has deep ruts, and then you consider what it takes, the energy it takes to get up out of those ruts, it takes a lot, but also it takes a lot of focus 
to get out of it completely. And then it takes even more focus to begin blazing a new trail. And that's exactly what happens with our brains. Whenever we try to introduce something new, our brains don't like it because we don't have a dirt road with ruts that represents that particular function. So we have to start and, and, and get up out of those ruts and we have to mindfully and slowly walk down this road, drive through this, drive this new path so that it becomes um, the new ruts that our brains use to traverse those, um, those I don't know, those, those daily grooming habits, if you will. But, but let's circle back now to workouts. Again, the reason why it was so challenging for me is not because there were, I was broken inside. It wasn't because there was something wrong with me. Every single human has to adapt to a new way of living. And no matter what it is, no matter if you're in, in academia and you're learning, I got a friend of mine who's in, who, who works for uh, the Navy and he is in, uh, he's in school to learn another language. Or if you want to learn another way to do math, it takes practice and effort to forge a new neural pathway that includes how to do trigonometry, how to do calculus, etc. And that same thing applies to starting new habits like working out. So you have to take the path of least resistance. You have to make sure that you're aware and mindful as you traverse this new this new road, an effort to establish a new daily activity like working out. So that takes mental focus and consistent effort to, excuse me, to be certain that you can have this, this new neural pathway in your brain that includes the thing that you want to do. Nobody's broken. Nobody's bad. Nobody's insufficient. It's just our brains don't work the way. So let yourself off the hook. If you've tried to implement any kind of daily activity, whether it's a workout or whatever, and it's just been so hard, just remember it's supposed to be that way because that's our brains want to operate on autopilot. They don't want to operate uh, from the hip, if you will. But if you can be mentally focused and consistent in your effort and you can execute what's, what's sustainable and take the path of least resistance, that is the way that you forge a new neural pathway, a new, again, habit that becomes a routine, that becomes a way of living. So that's working out. Now, I'll tell you this too, there's more to it as far as a workout is concerned for me than, than what I thought. And I had to come to these terms. I still struggle with body image. Like to this day, I still struggle with body image. I've gained a lot of muscle over the years, but I've gained way more weight than muscle. But, but there came a point in time after working out that I realized, wow, I still feel emotionally the same way about my body just on a smaller scale because I was losing weight. I was getting some muscle, but I still felt really shameful about, you know, my, my stomach, my love handles, you know, I, I just couldn't, I, like, I, because I'm a bigger guy, I didn't fit into the skinny jeans. I didn't fit into the slim fit jeans. I didn't, I, I just couldn't do that. Moreover, that was not even close to comfortable for me. So I had to adapt and I had, to, I had to recalibrate my expectations with that. But what happened over time is working out, I realized, became this way of having an emotional release, of having um, stress relief for each day. It was an outlet. So I kind of considered all the sweat as like emotions that are just oozing from me. And even just yesterday... Um, I'm in a rhythm right now of writing um, a, a Peloton, uh, though this is not a Peloton. I'm in, a, I'm in a, like this flow of riding um, and a stationary bike, and I have a very specific playlist that I can ride. And I don't just like to, to ride. When I, when I ride a stationary bike, I like to grind it out standing up. I don't like to spend much time in the saddle. And that's just me. But if I have the right kind of music to go with that, then I can just... I can do the work on no problem. Again, that's another example of how having realistic expectations and um, and finding the path of least resistance to support the new habit, that for me, that's just worked. That's not going to work for everybody. I, I, I 
totally going to concede to that concept and idea. But if me, you know, having not worked out from age, you know, 22 to 37 at all in any kind of sustained way, <laughs> moreover, every time I tried to and I quote unquote stopped or failed, it became that, that became like an additional shame, layer of shame about working out that I had that, that in the end I had to overcome. But now I don't look at workouts as, as ways to lose weight. I, lose, I, I look at workouts as a way to clear my head, to release my emotions, to um, release my stress. That is the, that is the big one. And Here's what I do know in terms of working out for me emotionally. The, the emotions that I feel day to day, the stresses, whether they're from me or anybody else, it doesn't matter. But the stresses of each day have a toll on us. And I kind of consider the, uh, my capacity to deal with and hold emotions day to day as like a five-gallon bucket. And each day, um, water is poured into that bucket and the water represents the emotions that I feel. And if I don't try to dump out the emotions, release the stress, release the emotions from that bucket by pouring it out, which really is in terms of, the, of a workout, then I'll wake up one day with the bucket full and I'll have no place to carry and hold my emotions for the day or I'll have no other place for water than and then the water just pours onto the floor and all of a sudden this mess ensues and it can be really, really hard to clean that up. So it became this objective for me each day, despite what I look like, despite what was going on in life, to just let emotions out. And that helped me to take that emotional capacity that represents this five-gallon bucket that I would just, in truth, <laughs> for years and years and years, my emotional bucket was always full. So that meant on the daily, I was, pay, I was cleaning up. I was cleaning up a mess in one, in one way or another, but I'm more capable of handling the emotions that are thrown at me each day, the situations that are really emotionally charged because, because that workout allows me to dump out the emotions. And sometimes it's not all those emotions, but sometimes it's just enough where I can get through it. And that, so, so this is how it shows up for me day to day, okay? Once I execute that. What that means is, is when I have that workout, I, there's more of the authentic me that's not emotionally hijacked that shows up. I, I'm more patient. It's easier for me to understand the situations that I'm dealing with that are challenging. It's easier for me to have clarity, to see what's really going on, whether and that's in my role as a, as a uh, as a parent, as a professional, or what have you, it's just easier to navigate those those things because I've released those emotions. So it's it's been a a huge blessing for me to work out personally, and and what's more is that's something that I can totally control. You know, there's I, I can't control what emotions you know pour into my bucket each day. I, I can't control that. I can't control what happens, but I can control what I do with them. And in those moments when I really feel out of control, I felt like I don't have any way of, of mitigating the intensity of these emotions, then I would just say, all right, that's what it is. And I'm going to go grind it out in a workout, whether I'm lifting, whether I'm doing some cardio, whether I'm writing, doesn't matter it would allow me to have an outlet. So that was hugely important, the workout. And again, as long as it's, um, it's something that I enjoy or something that I, I don't hate as much as, as like running, as long as I have um, a plan on when I'm going to work out the night before each day, as long as I can have the necessary tools to help me, i.e. pre-workout, um, a known workout, uh, that I know I'm going to do rather than having to make something up on the spot. If I also have a playlist that really motivates me during the workout, I can do it. I totally can do it. Now, I will say this. I'll, I've, had, I've had plenty of workouts where I felt like this just wasn't what I needed today. It wasn't the magic that I needed. It wasn't the... It didn't provide for me the release that I needed. And I felt like I could have worked out longer. Now, let me say this. 
this is hugely important for me. I had to trust that the more important thing for me in terms of creating this daily habit was to let go of those real magical workouts where I felt so good, I felt so accomplished, I felt so much release. I had to trust that even just doing, um, sometimes it was a 20-minute workout, even just doing 20 minutes was enough because over time, the more important thing, rather than the individual daily release of emotions, over time, the most important thing was is to create that new road, that new path that would serve me in the long run. That was key. That was pivotal for me to um, letting go of what I thought was supposed to be a killer record every day. That's just not going to happen. It just won't. That's just how it happens. That's just how it is. But the win is, again, the long-term drive down that dirt road to deepen the neural pathway that includes the routine of working out. So that is... That's, that's a workout. That's daily exercise. That's the thing that's been paramount for me. I still do it. I own that. I work out six days a week, but it's only 30 minutes. And that's sustainable for me. Again, it's got to be sustainable. So those are that, that's like exercise, okay? The second thing is a spiritual devotional. And this has ebbed and flowed for me in so, 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 so many ways. So um, I had a lot of shame being raised in a, in a very devout religious Christian home, that I had to do a spiritual devotional in a very specific prescribed way. And if I didn't, I really felt I wasn't good enough. I felt like something's wrong with me. I felt uh, disobedient. I just didn't feel like I was living up to the expectations that were given to me. And that brought so much shame, kind of in the same way as working out. If I didn't do it, even though I knew I was, air quotes, supposed to, and I didn't do it, I just, I just felt horrible. I didn't feel productive. Moreover, so when I went to to church or I participated in some kind of activity, some kind of event, some kind of meeting at church, it was a reminder of like, oh, look what you didn't do. Man, how, how can you not do that? So I had to really come to terms with what I needed in effort for me to commune with my higher power in the way that most resonate with me. I had to take the same approach. It was the path of least resistance. So I let go of expectations. I let go of shoulds. And I said, the more important thing for me is to develop a neural pathway, a dirt road, if you will, that has deep ruts that will allow me to execute this spiritual devotional over the long run, meaning the rest of my life. And I knew, this, this is what I, I kind of equated it to this. If, if I can do a 10-minute spiritual devotional, and since 2014, for a long time, it was just listening to a spiritual message in the morning while I made breakfast for my girls and got them off to school, and I was totally preoccupied. I was taught that I needed to sit down, I needed to open the scriptures, I needed to study them, I needed to search them, I needed to ponder them, but the truth was is that just wasn't realistic for me. That wasn't sustainable for me. But once I was using myself and I said, okay, I can actually listen to it. That will be better for me. That is, that's a way that, that a spiritual devotional can meet me where I'm at and what I'm ready for. Then it was just this huge relief that's like, okay, I'm not doing what, what I'm supposed to do, but I'm doing something. And I just trust that over time, um, I would be the better spiritual individual that I needed to be. And I kind of looked at it like this. If, if I was the guy, you know, if I was to, to die and stand before my maker in the hereafter and, and I was to account for the kind of spiritual devotion that I had, was I ready to face the, um, the way that I lived in terms of having shame be the motivator for me to doing my spiritual devotional and then doing it really intensely for three, four, five days and then stopping for weeks, sometimes months, and then, okay, I got to start again. Did I want to go through my life in such an up and down, shame-driven spiritual devotional, or did I want to trust that the long game for me was going to be the um, the thing that I could bank on, the thing that I could do? And I, I just give myself the the opportunity to just sit in this uh, sit in this in this uh, kind of visual reality of I'd rather stand before my maker saying, 
you know what? I gave you 10 minutes, but I gave you 10 minutes every day for decades. That kind of communion to me just seemed, it just seemed more doable. It just seemed more realistic. And it, it gave me this deep sense of satisfaction that that's enough because I was giving my higher power that time each day. And that, that was really important for me from a spiritual standpoint to say, all right, I'm not living up to what was, you know, the expectations, but I am in my own way devoting myself to my higher power. And because I hadn't done that before, I was totally cool with it. So um, my spiritual devotional over time has evolved and changed from the content that I listen to, but it's always about developing me on the inside. And, and for some people, it's going to be listening to scripture. Excuse me, for some people, it's going to be listening to um, some kind of spiritual teacher. And for other people, it's going to be reading it. Excuse me, for some people, it will be hiking in nature. For others, it will be fishing. Um, I remember Brene Brown said in, um, in one of her books that, no, it was in one of her uh, YouTube videos about boundaries and shame. She said that her dad would go fishing, and that was his church. And I've known plenty of people who are like that, who are like, I need to commune with my higher power in nature. So whatever it is that you need to do, whatever, whatever source is yours, your higher power, then be devoted to that in a short, small, sustainable way. Because in that, you're going to have not just the communion with your higher power and yourself, but you'll also know that over time, you have developed this new neural pathway or this new dirt road that includes a spiritual devotional that will allow you to be the best you, spiritually speaking. So again, the same principles apply of sustainability. The same principles apply of the path of least resistance. And for some people, it will be watching something. For others, it will be listening to something. For others, it will be reading something. Do you, whatever that is, it's most important that you, again, win the long battle with short, sustainable ways than it is trying to do this all or nothing approach of I got to do it and I got to be all in and I got to go to the nth degree and then only after a short period of time, you stop. I've lived that. I know what that's like, but, I, but I'm telling you, there's been loads of confidence that I have felt having done it in the way that I need it, in the way that I believe my higher power is, um, is best receiving because in my eyes, because it's, it's me. I'm showing up as the authentic, committed, consistent, mentally focused me. So that's spiritual devotional. Journaling. Oh, and again, that's spiritual devotional, just 10 minutes. Journaling, five minutes, okay? So again, I referenced this earlier, but journaling is a really, really important function. And I didn't understand how important this function was because I always thought it was just treacherous. It's like, what? On the, why do I want to even stop my day? Or why do I want to end my day with some kind of journaling? What am I supposed to write? Knowing what to write was like most of the problem because I just didn't know how to do it. So once I was able to understand there's a real specific um, function for me in terms of my brain, then I was like, wait, okay, there's more purpose behind this than just to write. I, I was like, I don't want to write for posterity. I don't want to write for, you know, my, you know, generations, you know, after me to read this. It's like, I didn't want that. So here was what my path of least resistance was an effort to journal. Okay. Um, I limited it to, um, to five minutes, actually 10 minutes is what I did, but, but really five minutes is enough. And even though I felt really, really good when I finished the five minutes, I stopped because here's what I figured out. If I wrote to fatigue, if I just poured out all my emotions and dumped, you know, uh, 45 minutes into journaling and I wrote to fatigue, that same feeling of fatigue showed up the next day when it was time to journal. <laughs> I was like, dude, what am I going to write? I wrote everything, everything that I had the previous day. So in order to, to mitigate that experience, I said, no matter how good I feel as I'm writing, no matter how the flow is and how great it is, I'm actually going to stop. So that same really insightful, great feeling of flow shows up the next day when it's time to journal. 
I also made certain that I picked the optimum time of the day, not the ideal, but the realistic, the optimum time of the day for me. That's going to be different for all of you. It's going to be different for me and that's okay. But the most important thing is, is it's when it's that, that you assign it for a part of the day that's most sustainable. So for me, I wrote the last thing before I went to bed and that was just the, the, the season of life that I was in and that was perfect. And now that's evolved and changed. And so, um, now I will, um, when I feel moved upon during the day, I will write whenever that hits. But I had to give myself permission again to not write lots. I didn't have to write it legibly. And I didn't, if you look at it, <laughs> you would say, okay, what language is this? Because this is entirely, you know, uh, unreadable. And the truth is, I didn't care because that having my journal readable after the fact was not the point. What I knew I needed was I needed to slow my brain down. I knew I needed a chance to allow my, my heart and my head to connect with what was going on in my brain. I knew I needed time to think below the surface level emotions that I felt for the day. I knew I needed to journal. And um, what, I, what I was taught as well is that when we, when we actually write pen and paper or pen on paper, pencil on paper, because it's so much uh, a slower process to write with our hand versus typing, then that demands a deeper level of processing because we can't go as fast when we slow down and we give ourselves a chance to, to really ponder and think as we write, it, it, it just developed in me a different muscle of processing internally that I didn't even know existed. And that's what was cool about it is I slowed down to write, but I didn't write legibly. I didn't write for my posterity for the generations after me. I didn't write so that I could share this with anybody. I just wrote it and knowing that I would just get rid of it, that I would just get rid of it. So if you're at all concerned about anybody else finding this, it's like, feel free to shred it immediately afterwards. Feel free to file 13 it, to burn it, whatever it is. Be okay with that because the real purpose here is to develop a new way of processing internally on what you felt day to day so that you could understand more of who you are. So most important about that is not to judge it, not to, um, to trivialize what you write. It's just to put emotions on paper. Again, 80 emotions per role you play in life for that day, for that day. Um, the, uh, the journaling was super important for me and um, it really gave me a chance to to think with clarity, to think with, um, I guess this, this new, I shouldn't say completeness, but it gave me a chance to really reflect in totality of the day and feel like, okay, that day's done and I've learned some things and I'm moving on. And sometimes journaling was really great. Sometimes it was, it felt just totally rote. But again, I took the same approach with journaling as I did my spiritual devotional. It's like, I've never done this before. And I would rather write over the long haul for five minutes then be really streaky in writing, you know, for a few days for 20 minutes and then falling off for months and then starting again and then carrying the shame of that start and stop process because that told me that I was broken, that I couldn't do it, you know, all those things. So I had to be certain that I, again, knew what time of day I was going to do it. I had to know the night before when I was going to do it. And I had to be certain that I had the prescribed amount of time to do it. And once I did those things, then it was the path of least resistance for me. And that's what helped to sustain the activity. So I'd say that the, the last daily that really, really helped me is to share what I felt from the day. And that means to share the emotions. At the time, I was married and had uh, the, the ability to, to share those emotions with my former. And that was critical for me. And here's why. To check in with a partner, to check in with um, some kind of accountability partner, some kind of support system, to speak the emotions that you felt that day. And when I mean check in, I really just mean 
this is what I felt today. And this is how I did in executing my dailies. That gave me a chance to consider what went well and what didn't and how I needed to recalibrate it in a sustainable way so that I could develop a new neural pathway or a new road that is, again, that's going to develop into deep ruts that I can operate against moving forward. So it was really cool because I became the... um, I really became the master and commander of my own of my own self, and that meant that I could do anything that I wanted in terms of my dailies. I just knew I had to do it in a very specific way that that met my needs, so that I could sustain them. And I have to tell you, doing it year after year after year has been far better than what I ever ever expected. And it's allowed me to grow in ways that I never expected. And I'm legit. I'm gonna be one of those. I'm gonna be one of those guys who's 80 years old, still in the gym, doing something, whether it's lifting or riding or you know whatever it is, because it's just in me. That's mine, and I own it. My spiritual devotional. It's the same way, etc. So remember these these individual activities are all meant to help us connect with who we are on the inside. They're meant to help us take that five-gallon bucket, that emotional capacity we have, and dump out the day's emotions or the day's water as much as we can because I promise we're not always going to be able to dump it fully out, like empty the bucket. We'll still have things. But the point is, is we won't wake up the next day to a full emotional bucket. And if we can do that, then that gives us a chance to navigate whatever life throws at us in a more complete, balanced, healthy way, in a way that we want to show up, rather than in a way that's reactionary based upon what's happening with us. It gives us an opportunity, again, to take care of us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but it also, the last part in, in being able to check in, again, with whomever that is, right? It's just a matter of sharing the emotions from the day, sharing how you did and executing for the day. And... There comes this great feeling of satisfaction when you can maintain that over time. Okay, so here's, here's the forewarning on this. Even though you decide the night before when you're going to do your dailies, and even if that time doesn't change, there will still be real life, excuse me, real life events, situations, priorities that will, that will arise, that will get in the way. And, and that's happened a gazillion times to me. But what I came to realize was this. Even though those things happen, and they are important no matter what they are, I had to see the value in saying, okay, that's important. I've got to do that. But I previously assigned this block of time, whether it's 30 minutes, whether it's 10 minutes, whatever, to this specific daily. And I just need to execute despite what this other thought is about not doing it. And that was really important for me because what I recognized was is that thought that's contrary to doing what I had previously decided to do was just my brain saying, no, 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 that's, that's not a new neural pathway. Like the old one is over here. And that one doesn't include, that neural pathway, that road, that dirt road with all those ruts, it doesn't include a workout. It doesn't include a spiritual devotion. It doesn't include journaling. It doesn't include being vulnerable with somebody else about how you did that day. But that's the whole point. If we can recognize that thought and realize that's just our brains. And there's another narrative that goes along with it. It's called the spike nerve that I'll, that I'll address in, in the coming episodes. But if we can recognize that, that that resistance is only our brain not being used to doing what, what we're trying to do, and we realize that our brain just needs time to allow that routine that, that habit to become a routine, to become a way of living, then we're going to be okay. It'll be easier to be um, merciful, gentle, loving on ourselves, despite what we may or may not accomplish. And inevitably, there are going to be days where we just can't execute whatever, for whatever reason. But again, what I've learned to do, and I'm not this personality at all. I, if, if you know the color code personality by Dr. Hartman, you'll know I, I'm a yellow 
and I'm motivated by fun and redundancy and boredom is like one of the biggest obstacles I have. But, um, and if you know the Danny Johnson gems, I am a sapphire. And there's all kinds of other, you know, enneagrams and so forth, all kind of other personality traits or personality tests that, that could demonstrate this. But, but I'm not the guy. I wasn't the guy. I was more like, where's the fun? Let's wing it. Let's, let's have fun. But I learned to be focused on a little small thing every day. And I learned to recognize the thought that kept me historically from executing and when that thought came into my head, I was able to dismiss it and just execute. Preparing for the day is not easy. Preparing for the day is tough. It's challenging. But I'm convinced that if we do it in a small and small, simple ways that are sustainable, that meet us where we are, then we don't have to jump over them. We don't have to go beyond what we're capable of. We can just do it in a short, sustainable way. And honestly, this has been the thing that had this, this daily routine has also given me things that I can expect. It's removed some unknowns throughout the day. And when there are fewer unknowns, just in terms of what I do day to day, then I have less anxiety and stress and worry. Because really, the unknowns are, are, are scary. And even if we don't have it on our radar to not do dailies, when we try to do them, then again, that occupies more time of our day that's devoted to something that will help us. And that's known. That's known. So, guys, this is episode two. This is about dailies. Um, there's lots here that, um, that you can think on. And it doesn't take much to just say, this is what I got to do. And um, my hope is that you guys will really, really, really understand that I was never the habitual guy ever, ever. But I've become that because I've been able to do it in a very, again, sustainable way because I want time to work with me to develop the change that I've always wanted. And when I am mentally focused and consistent in my effort, then that's when time works with me. Time is the ultimate. You know, it's interesting. Time is, time is this concept that we're always working against in life, right? We're, um, I mean, everything from the day and the night to sporting events, there's always a clock to um, academic calendars, there's always timelines to work. There are always deadlines we have to, I mean, we're just working against the clock no matter what it is. And oftentimes we get to the end of the day and we're like, man, there's just not enough hours. How, the, how on the green earth am I going to do this? But what, I, what I've come to know, what my truth is, is that I had to let go of the expectation that I'm going to have some kind of miraculous change overnight. And I had to accept the law of the harvest, this universal law that, that says, I reap what I sow, and that takes time. A lot of, and it's interesting too, if we talk about the law of the harvest and, and we think of it in terms of pumpkins, okay, growing pumpkins, if any of you have ever grown pumpkins before, and we've only done that a couple of times, um, but we had to plant the seed, the pumpkin seed, like late March, early April, and knowing that it would be like six months until we could see the pumpkin that we wanted. And it didn't matter how much I weeded. It didn't matter how much I fertilized. It didn't matter how much I watered. It didn't how much I, I tried to clear out like branches and trees that would inhibit sunlight. I wasn't going to get pumpkins in July. So I can't, I couldn't overachieve. I couldn't force the law of the harvest to go faster when growing pumpkins. And that was really important for me to recognize because I was the same way. I couldn't force my brain to change and to produce pumpkins in July. I just needed to trust the process. And that was beautiful for me because now I look at time in a very, very different way. Time is my advocate when I'm mentally focused and consistent in executing my dailies. So... That's the message for today. I hope that you uh, listen to this and re-listen to this because it's going to be a new concept and that's okay that it's new. It's not a competition. It's just about you showing up in the best way that you can to handle whatever life throws at you. And it's not always going to work. Like I still do stuff that I, re that, that I regret and want to take back, but I'm a better version of me 
because I'm mentally focused and consistent in my efforts when it comes to dailies. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you listening. If you have heard something that spoke to you, share this. And um, it can help somebody to get rolling in the way that they want to, to live their truth of who they actually want to be because of the sustainable ways this is executed. So thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate it. It was so good having you. Really glad you're here. Please share this episode if anything spoke to you. And if you like what you heard, subscribe. Love to hear from you. Also, if you would like to join me on an episode to walk through any kind of situation or scenario that's been really tough and challenging in life, go to growwithkobe.com and click on the email button and send me an email and let me know what your situation is, what you'd like to talk about, what you'd like to talk through, and you may be the person that I invite to join me on an episode over Zoom, and we can just walk through it based upon the skills of the episode. Thanks for being here, guys. Talk soon.